0: Well, topic on worry. Pretty worried about this. (laughs) Okay. Well, I was thinking this morning, if you guys have a life plan, okay? Now, I always am fascinated by these people who, at school, um, when they're doing their GCSEs, know exactly what they want to do with their life. Have you ever met those people? Um, And they're really single-minded, and they go through life, and they seem to achieve it, and everything happens at the right time, and it was perfect. (laughs) I'm not like that at all. In fact, um, yeah, I don't think even now I've got there. Um, My mum always used to say to me she still didn't know what she wants to do, and she still says that now, and she's, what is she now, 67, and she still says, I don't really know what I want to do. (laughs) Um, Anyone like that? Not sure, really, if they know what they want to do. There's a few people, see? They're out there. Um, But some people, they seem to have these amazing plans. And it's all the rage, isn't it? My friend, he's just telling me that um, his friend's just trained as a life coach. Um, Have you seen that on Miranda? They get a life coach, yeah. (laughs) And there's this idea of, like, um, knowing what you want to get to in the next few years, and then kind of working out practical steps of how you're going to get there, okay? You're going to change your life in the next few years. I just cannot get this staple out. Um, so they ask questions like, how do you want to be remembered, okay? Um, especially by the key people in your life. So how do you want to be remembered? They ask you, what matters most to you? Um, so is it family, career? What are your kind of priorities? And they get you to make a list. Um, and then they get you to work out, well, how can I get from here to where I want to be? They kind of get you to do a bit of envision, envision, what's that word? In, oh, yeah, that, okay. <laughs> um, and so you know where you're going to do. And a lot of people have this plan, don't they? They, uh, they know uh, where they'd like to live. They, they work out how many children they'd like to have and when they'd like to have them by, what job they'd like to do. Um, there was a program the other day on retirement. Um, and there's this, uh, I think she was 28. She was working in London. And they were interviewing her about um, what she... You know what she saw her retirement like, and how much she wanted to get, and she said, "Well, you know I'd like to be on an income maybe about thirty thousand a year. I'd like to retire at this age and you know it was it was just amazing and and basically, the guy there it was all about money, and he was saying, You know practically speaking, you haven't started saving early enough, you're too late at twenty seven I was like, Oh no <laughs> and um But it it is that kind of picture, isn't it, that you're going to get to retirement, you're going to have this house, and you're going to, you know, you just imagine it, don't you? You've got this nice little garden that you work on, and you've got a car, and you've got your grand... Do you know what I mean? And there's that sort of idea. But we need to be asking, as Christians, okay, we're saying that as Christians we have got uh, different goals in life that we've got a different perspective, that um, what we want from life is something different, isn't it? We're we're offering that to people, aren't we? We're saying, your life can be changed. Uh, This isn't all there is. There's more than just this life, yeah? So I want to ask you just to think for a minute now. In your life plan, whether you've got one or not, I bet you've got hopes and dreams or ambitions or things that you kind of would like, okay? Where is Jesus in this life plan? Okay, where does he fit? Is he just sort of a tag on or does he have a a particular place in the life plan? When you get to the end, what will it be that has mattered most to you in your life? Uh, What will people remember you by? And, um, you know, when you get there, how are you going to get there in the meantime, We're going to be reading this section of Luke, and it's Luke 12, if you want to look it up. and Luke, In Luke, Jesus has been talking, first he talked about hypocrisy. He's saying, you know, don't be afraid to speak the truth. You know what it is. You don't have to fit in. You don't have to be liked on Facebook, particularly. You don't have to be the most popular person. He says, you know the truth now, speak it and live it. Don't be a hypocrite. And the second thing he says, be on your guard against greed. Life's not about possessions. It's not about the property that you own. It's not about where you are in life or what people, how you fit in with that maybe dream I just painted for us. But it's about something else. And this week he talks about worry. Okay, so let's read it. It's um, Luke 12 and it's verse 22 to 34. Says, then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you'll wear, for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than the birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life. Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? You of little faith, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, he says here, the first bit, do not worry about your life who here worries well there's some non-worriers that's exciting <laughs> i think so much of life is wasted worrying we know that is totally useless i think even last night someone posted on facebook about how worry was useless i thought yes that is true worry is useless but we are a nation of worriers We are a people that worry. We're constantly mulling things over, playing out the scenarios of what might happen in our head. So we play out, you know, what will happen if I lose my job? What will happen if I fail that exam? What will happen if that relationship breaks down? If I get sick and I can't make my mortgage payments? What if I crash the car or I lose my purse or I miss an opportunity? Or I lose my pension. What if is kind of what fills us all the time. And worry, I would say, is not something that a Christian is excluded from. Um, because I'd just say very simply, we're not perfect. If, if we say we don't worry about anything, then do we really care about anything at all? Do you see what I mean? I think worry is part of a Christian life, but I think we should worry differently. We should have a different approach to it. When we start to worry, well, what do we do about that? How do we respond to it? Um, You know, a lot of worry can feel like you're just going around in circles and you achieve nothing. You're going nowhere. You wake up in the morning. You didn't really sleep. And, and it achieved nothing. Nothing happened during that time other than you lost a night's sleep and maybe felt a bit physically sick in the process of it. And the next day is ruined. So let's see what Jesus says about worrying differently. Like, how should we respond? Jesus says, don't worry. Okay, so when we feel that urge to worry, how should we respond to it? Okay, we're not going to be. What I mean by that is, we're not going to be. Ex- excluded like now i'm a christian i don't worry because it's going to come up isn't it like everything else in our lives we're not a christian now and i don't get sick or i'm not a christian now and i i don't this doesn't happen to me okay so the first one is verse 24 jesus talks about don't worry about the raven he said consider the ravens they don't sow or reap they've got no storeroom or barn yet god feeds them so when we start to worry, the first thing we think about is that God provides. It's not the first time that Jesus mentioned birds. Remember just a little bit ago, he talked about those sparrows being sold for a couple of pennies. They were utterly worthless, but they had more value than them. He's saying, I know for them, I know when they live and I know when they die. I know everything about them. And here, it's ravens. Now, these guys were were not even birds that God particularly liked. They were unclean in the Old Testament. They're like dirty birds, okay? We can think of them like that. And yet it says that God is aware and in control of their life. He provides for them. Um, And this is not that he just drops it from the sky and there's like this heavenly bird feeder that comes down and, you know, just drops into their mouth. They have to search for it. But he provides for us. And as we're Christians, we've got to have a different outlook straight away, haven't we? If we're worried about something that we haven't received, well, first off, we know that provision, the things that we have, are not about us working manically hard to get them. But actually everything we have, whether we did it because we were talented or however we did it, it was God's ultimate provision that provided those things for us. And whatever our situation, whatever our need is, ultimately that comes, that thing will come from God. So when we worry... The first thing we need to remember is to go to our father because he provides. It's ultimately him that is providing. The second thing, he talks about how much more valuable we are than these birds, these insignificant, pointless birds that no one really cares about. Okay? How much more? Of all creation, we were set above it to rule it. We were made a little lower than the angels. We're made in God's image to reflect him, to be in relationship with him. And these birds that everyone thinks are pretty worthless and unclean, it says that God cares for them. God finds them valuable. We are more valuable than them. When we're anxious about stuff, it's very tempting at that point to think that nobody cares, that we, you know, we're so insignificant, we're nothing, that God maybe isn't interested in our situation. But we here find that we are valuable to Jesus. Jesus. We know from his word that he seeks us out. We are so valuable, in fact, that he pursues us. He searches for us. He gives himself for us. He exchanges for us himself. He gives everything. So when we're tempted to worry that nobody cares, we can go immediately to God with that thing. We thank you, Father that you do care, that I am valuable in this situation, that we are secure in him. The third one, it says, Which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do that very thing, why do you worry about the rest? As Christians, we know we can't control things. We know that um, we might have a great care system. We might have some great drugs that might be able to help us. We might be able to live healthily and all those things. But we know that ultimately, even though we do those things, that God is in control of our life. He knows when we'll live and when we'll die. He's in control, not us. We can... um, Think of different decisions we can make. But Jesus reminds the disciples, plain and simple here, that they can't even add an hour to their life. They can't even do that very simple thing. And worry at the center is something when we're trying to control stuff. We're trying to have control over it. But ultimately, we don't. For example, if we're going into an exam... We might try and control that situation by working really hard. We really bust a gut. But there is so much we can't control. We cannot control um, how big our brains are and how brilliant they are at absorbing information. We can't control that. We cannot control uh, whether we'll feel brilliant that day or whether we'll feel sick that day. We cannot control... um, how the person wrote the exam paper we cannot control the mark system that it's given there is so much we cannot control about that situation and yet we'll spend maybe an entire night before feeling sick about it and what are we trying to do we're trying to control it we're thinking oh if only this would happen and this would happen and this would happen then it would all be all right for me but as Christians, when we start to worry, when we want to go down that plan, if I just do this and I just do this and I just... And if only this person had done this. We can take a breath because it's not about control. God is in control, not us. Fourthly, verse 27 says, Consider how the wild flowers grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? It's clear, isn't it, that God doesn't see value as we do. If you think about the butterflies, some of them, they're so elaborate and beautiful, aren't they? But they only live for maybe 24 hours. And then they die. Here he talks about the grass that might burst into flower one minute and the next minute it meets the combine harvester coming through and it's gone. It's not a waste, it's never a waste. God loves to give lavish gifts to his creation. He created out of nothing this intricate beauty, some of which is never seen at all by anyone. Some beautiful, delightful, delicate, beautiful thing that's hidden on a rock face or in the bottom of the sea that's never appreciated. And yet it's not without value. God delights to give his creation, to give to them and he gives to us doesn't he life and breath and beauty and family and friends he gives lavish gifts to us and he gives what is most costly himself to us and when we find ourselves worrying about what we do or don't have we need to as christians we approach that worry straight away with i want to thank you father that you are a God who loves to give lavish gifts to me. It's an approach, isn't it? I, lo- I thank you that you love to give me lavish gifts. That you delight in me. And we give thanks for what we have. I know all too often when I'm worrying about what I don't have, a great combinate, com- kind of great thing to uh, combat that is to start listing All the things that God has given to me, that he's poured out his lavish love upon me. It's so easy, isn't it? Soon we just start going, oh, it's all about me. My life's so awful. But actually, when we start to count our blessings, that very simple thing, that we have a God who loves to give lavish gifts, and we look at what he's already lavishly given us, we start to worry less. <clears throat> Next we hear that we have a father who knows what we need. We have a father who knows what we need. And it isn't, here it doesn't say we have a God who knows what we need. It has a father who knows what we need. And as a parent, I, I, I don't always get it right, but I know what my child needs and I want to give to my child. I want to make sure that she's okay I I don't always protect her from things. Sometimes I let her fall over or I let her jump into the swimming pool and go underneath it for a bit. (laughs) But I'm there for her the whole time. Why am I doing that? Well, I want her to learn. I want her to grow. I want her to develop. And we have a father. This is what we have in Christ Jesus. As Christians, we're not just worrying on our own. But we've got a father we can go to in the middle of the night when we're feeling that sickness, when we can't sleep, when we're up and it's 3 a.m. And we don't want to disturb our partner because they're actually snoring beautifully. We have a father that we can go to and we can pour all this stuff out and say, thank you that you're my dad. I know that you know what I need. I know that you give lavish gifts. I know that you're a good God. And that intimacy in the Bible is throughout, isn't it? That we're sons, we're adopted, we're heirs, we have it, we've been given this. And all that beautiful family vocabulary that we have a father who's not cruel, he doesn't withhold. We have that other passage where it says, how much more does your father in heaven know how to give you good things? He literally lavishes on us, pours out in abundance. We have a dad who loves us with a fiery passion, fiery passion, much more than we have perhaps for our own children. So when we start to be consumed by our own needs, we need to remember those things. We have that God, a father who knows what we need, who's fully aware of what you're worrying about and will provide for you. But not always what you want but what you need and that's key isn't it as a christian that it's not always what we want but it's what we need we know from our own children they often want something that is actually not good for them or they want something that actually we think that's not the best time for you in your life right now but god knows what we need and he will provide but we still worry, don't we? We've got these ways of combating so far. We've got our picture of God. That's why we're worrying different as Christians. We're, we're not just like this. We, you know, we've got something much bigger worldview. But Jesus goes on to give us more ways of combating worry. And the next thing he says is this, in verse 31, 32, 31 to 34. He says, but seek first the kingdom. Okay, don't worry, but... Seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock. Look at how beautiful, isn't it? For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also you will be also. Seek his kingdom. The problem is that most of us are seeking our own kingdoms, aren't we? We're doing, trying to build our own personal kingdom. When we get that life plan of where we're going, we see this kingdom, but it's very much an earthly kingdom. It's very much a, oh, my kingdom, and I will sit on the throne in the middle of my kingdom. Jesus says here, a great way of combating worry is not to seek my kingdom, but to seek his kingdom. A place where we don't rule, but God rules. It's the ultimate lie, isn't it? It's the bottom lie. It's the foundation of everything that went wrong when Satan said, you can become like God. That was the ultimate lie. And if as Christians, all we're living for is our own personal kingdom, then we've got nothing to offer anyone else. We're just doing exactly the same. From the moment of the start of everything, man has been trying to establish his own kingdom. But that's not going to be the case. There is only one God. There is only one kingdom. And his kingdom we can choose to join in with Or we can carry on trying to build our own. Jesus offers us something. If we seek the kingdom, his kingdom, he guarantees that we will get that. Okay? Because look at what it says. It says here, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Has been pleased, past tense. Not will be pleased, but has been pleased. It is secure. When we seek the kingdom, it is going to be ours. When we live lives focused on building a world that God would like, building a character in ourselves that God would like, doing what Jesus would do in our attitudes and our actions, we will not fail because God has given it to us to understand that he has given it to us he delights to do this for us we don't need to fear that we won't achieve it because it isn't about us he has done it it won't be taken away from us it won't we won't fail in it god is ultimately in control he says don't be afraid little flock the complete tenderness of a father to a young child. Don't be afraid. It's not don't be afraid, don't be afraid. It's very tender, isn't it? Don't be afraid, little flock. It's something we don't need to worry about. If you want the kingdom in your life, if you want his world, his future, then yes, it's guaranteed. Your father has been pleased. He's been overwhelmed with joy to give it to you. And as we become Christians, what happens? We receive the Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit going to do? Transform, teach, guide. We're not on our own anymore. We're not trying to achieve something by running really fast. He is going to achieve it in us. We need to view the king, everything we have from God as resources for building his kingdom. That's the second point he makes here. In Matthew 13, we record bits of Jesus saying, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then his joy went, in his joy went out and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for a fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away. He sold everything he had and he bought it. Jesus here, he's using the phrase kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is another way of saying kingdom of God. It's a phrase that refers to an order where God is ruling and reigning over it. This could be someone's life. It could be your family, it could be a community, it could be a country, a world, a universe. When things work the way they should, they are under the rule of God at that point. Our world, our countries, our families don't seem to work the way they're meant to, the way that God intended them to. We instinctively know that they are not right. It's not right that in one country, the main cause of death is heading towards obesity, when in another country, the main cause of death is famine. We instinctively know that something in our world is not right. When things are under God's rule, they are right. And here Jesus is saying, when you find something that makes things work right, it's worth giving everything you have for not withholding anything. We should be willing to use everything we have for God's kingdom. Do anything it takes as we follow Jesus and know him better. We should be better at this. The stuff we have is ours, but we can choose how we use it. The most freeing way to look at our possessions and our things is their temporary nature. We, can, we can't take it with us. But we can use it now to build something that will actually last forever. When we give up some of our luxuries so that a child in another country can go to school or eat a meal, we're using what God has given us to build his kingdom. We become part of that bigger project. When we spend time reading God's word Asking him to change us by his spirit, we become part of a common project of transforming the world into a place where it's under God's rule. Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. What we do here for the kingdom will never be taken away from us. It can't be stolen or lost on the stock market. It can't break or be destroyed. It lasts forever, and it brings ultimate security and satisfaction. So go back to what your life plan is. As a follower of Jesus, what matters most to you? How do you envision the future And how can you get from here to there? Jesus concludes with a statement, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, what matters most to you is where you have set your heart. What you've envisioned for the future is where you are going. So let's just start for a few minutes. We're going to just pause and then the bands are going to come and play us through a few songs. And let's ask the Holy Spirit just to show us, what is our life plan? What have we envisioned for the future? Where does Jesus' kingdom fit in that? What he wants, what he desires. Are we focused entirely on building our own kingdom? Or is there a bigger picture here? Is there something else we could be focusing on? Let's pray. Father, we're so conscious that our life plans don't involve you a lot of the time. And the pictures that we have for the future are the pictures everyone else has. And Father, we thank you that you provide these things for us. You want good things for us. You delight in us. You lavish gifts on us. And you are Father and you care for us. And we praise you that you've given us such good things. So, Father, we pray that you transform our hearts and minds, that we'd have the bigger picture. We uh, would want to be building your kingdom, that our goals in life would be to envision a world where you are reigning and ruling, where there's justice and mercy. Father, please forgive us for our own selfishness that so often we're so inward-looking. But please change us. We thank you, Father, that when we ask for your kingdom, you're pleased to give it to us. And so we come to you today and we open our eyes, our hands to you, and we ask that you would indeed help us to be a part of your kingdom. Please give us that vision A fresh vision, a new vision, where you are reigning and we are building your kingdom, not our own. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.